gets the honour. Um, would you please open your Bibles uh, to Genesis 19? Um, that's on page 19, if you've got the cool-looking Bible. I don't know about the other one, but you'll find it. The, uh, chapter 19, 1 through 29. The angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't, think this, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said, This fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge? We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure, uh, pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, Son, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your, two and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away with the city when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the man grasped his hand and, his, and the hands of his wife and of his, and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plains. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favour in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to, and is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared." He said to him, Very well, I will grant this, grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. This is why the town was called Zora. Zor. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, for the Lord out of the heavens, from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities, and also the vegetation in the land, 
But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, towards all the land of the plains, and he saw a dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plains, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Scott, and I'm the guy that divvies up all the passages for preaching. <clears throat> and uh, sometimes I uh, divvy those up earlier on in the term, and later on in the term I'm looking at what's coming up ahead in the preaching, and I think, oh, wonderful passage coming up. I'm so looking forward to preaching on that. And then I check the roster. <clears throat> And I've given it to Pete or to Benjamin. But we've got a really important passage before us today. And uh, so I'd like us to uh, pray as we come to think about it. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the scriptures. For we know that uh, every word that comes from your mouth is, uh, uh, is valuable and important and a gift from you. Uh, to build us up in our knowledge and our love for you and our obedience. And Father, we uh, thank you that uh, the Holy Scriptures are powerful for salvation uh, as we hear and by your Spirit are uh, changed. And so we pray now, Lord God, that you would be moving our minds and our hearts, that we would be those who uh, live in conformity to your will. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, I uh, spoke to a lady who lived in New York and uh, who was there uh, when a terrorists slammed uh, two passenger jets into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Centre. And some of us here, of course, uh, saw that happening live, didn't we? Uh, on television, it was night time here in Australia, and I remember returning home from a committee management meeting and uh, uh, putting my feet up to relax, uh, lying on the couch, switching on the television, and uh, really just bewildered, not, not understanding what, what I was watching, not, and I think everyone was. As two of the tallest buildings in the world, uh, filled with thousands of people, burnt, and then uh, I saw them collapse just dropped to the earth, dropped to the ground. But what was it, what was it like for a local? Well, <clears throat> amongst all of the thoughts and emotions which this lady shared with me, uh, there was one thing which really stood out, and uh, that is that um, every day on her commute to and from home and work, uh, she would um, see in the distance those two great towers and now she said I look and they are no longer there they're gone one day they stood tall and strong and the next day well they just weren't there just smouldering rubble when we see something with our own eyes 
there's something about the, the gravity of it isn't, isn't there. The, the gravity of, of what has happened which burns on our hearts. And sometimes, of course, it's better not to see uh, the things I'd rather not see with my own eyes. But there are times when uh, seeing uh, means greater understanding, greater understanding of important truths, which in our Bible passage today was the case for Abraham with regards to something which he once saw. Now, Abraham lived in uh, Cana, uh, in Canaan, and he lived uh, near the, uh, the Dead Sea. Uh, from where he, uh, in his, uh, uh, the hill country that he lived in, uh, could, um, uh, had a panoramic view over the whole of the landscape that was below. And it was a view which included, uh, amongst other things, two cities. Uh, two cities which at the time were commercial um, bustling uh, centres, but uh, today are famous only for one thing, and that is their sin. Abraham could see those cities, but he didn't live in them. He didn't belong to them. Abraham was uh, an agriculturalist. He, uh, um, he owned sheep and cattle and camels and goats. And so he and his household, his family and those who worked for him, they... They lived in tents, large uh, family-sized tents, more like m portable homes, as they tended their livestock. Now, Middle Eastern, in Middle Eastern culture, hospitality, um, particularly centering around food, has been a great feature for a long time. In fact, um, I, I can almost guarantee to you that if you were to visit the home of a Middle Eastern family, uh, you would not leave feeling hungry. <laughs> you would not. I mean, it's pretty hard to say no to some of that food, isn't it? Uh, to say food, no to uh, such delights as falafel and tabbouleh and hummus and, and, uh, and baklava. Oh, I cannot say no to baklava. It's a culture. It's a culture of, of generous hospitality which has developed over millennia. Even to strangers, even to people who are just passing by, as we see in our passage today in Genesis chapter 18, which you may like to have open in front of you, where in verses 1 through to 5, uh, three strangers turned up at Abraham's tent. And uh, in this account, we see that um, Abraham's hospitality uh, seems to be um, over the top, uh, not, not just by our Western standards, but by even by Middle Eastern standards, his hospitality seems to be extravagant because in verse 2, when Abraham saw these three visitors, uh, he, uh, he dropped everything that he was doing and he ran from his tent towards them and when he got to them, he bowed down. He dropped to his knees. He bowed down. Abraham seemed to realise that uh, there was something special about these three men and uh, something special in particular about one of them. And so he begged them to stay and he begged them to receive his hospitality. Now, uh, one thing I've discovered is that in, uh, in marriage is that if I'm going to invite someone over to our place for a meal, it's a good idea to check with Cassie first. 
And, uh, but uh, not so with Abraham. Not so with Abraham. He, he, Abraham uh, uh, begs these men to stay with him and to eat with him and then he just races to the tent and, well, let's, let's read what happened in verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seers of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Now, three seers of fine flour, that's about 22 litres. That's 22 litres of flour. That's a lot of bread, isn't it? That's a lot of bread. And then he, he handpicked a, an entire calf to be slaughtered and cooked. That's a lot of meat for three strangers. Why? Why would Abraham be so lavish uh, with his hospitality? Well, we get a clue to that in verse 10, uh, where we're told, Then the Lord said... I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. That was one of the three men. Now, in the Old Testament, when you see the, uh, the word Lord, uh, L-O-R-D, all in capital letters, uh, in the original, that's something like uh, Y-H-W-H, uh, which we think is most likely pronounced as Yahweh which is the name of the Lord, the name of God, the specific name of God who revealed himself uh, in the Old Testament to Abraham and to Moses and uh, so on. And Abraham, he seems to know who this man is, that this man is actually a visitation from the Lord God himself. In fact, in uh, chapter 19, verse 1, the other two men are described as being angels, which means messengers of the Lord. And so why had the Lord and two of his messengers come to, came, come to Abraham? Well, there are two reasons in, the, in this passage, two reasons that are given. First of all, remember the big promise that God made to Abraham, the big promise that Abraham and Sarah would have a son, would have a son. Now, that was a promise which was given about 25 years earlier, about 25 years earlier, and uh, Sarah was about 75 years old when that was given. And uh, so have a look at verse 9, where, where uh, the Lord says, Where is your wife, Sarah? Uh, they asked him. It's interesting that they knew her name. And there in the tent, Abraham said, and then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and your wife will have a son. Now, it's been a long time, hasn't it? And Sarah's not exactly young. She's now 90 years of age, 90 years old. She's beyond childbearing, humanly speaking, in fact, uh, uh, Sarah was, over, was eavesdropping and she, uh, when she overheard what the Lord had said, uh, we're told that she had a quiet laugh to herself and she thought to herself, really? Really? At my age? That that's what's going to happen? And then there's this interesting interaction when the Lord actually knew what she was thinking and uh, asked her about that. Why did you say that? <laughs> Why did you laugh? And Sarah says, I, did not, I didn't laugh. And the Lord says, well, yes, you did. (laughs) 
That's an interesting interaction. But within 12 months, she was visited again by the Lord in the gift of a son, which we'll learn about uh, later uh, in coming weeks. And so the reason that they came was the announcement of the time frame of when the baby would be born. But announcing that time frame was not the only reason the Lord and his angels had come. There is a second reason, uh, which we see in verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down. Remember, they're up high in hill country where Abraham's tent is. They looked down towards Sodom, and Abram walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Now, what are the two reasons then for their coming? God's promise that Abraham would have descendants was about to be fulfilled. That's one reason. And here we see that something significant was about to happen to Sodom. That's the other reason they came. And so the question in my mind is, are these two events related? Is the, uh, the coming of the promised son and descendants for Abraham related in some way to the destruction, the judgment on Sodom, what was about to happen to Sodom? Are they unrelated events or are they connected? Well, uh, check out how the Lord answers his own question in verse 17, uh, where his question is, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He goes on to say, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on the earth will be blessed through him for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Something was about to happen to Sodom, which Abraham would see with his own eyes. But seeing what happened was not enough. He also had to understand why it happened. Because God was about to give Abraham a son, uh, through whom God would create a special people. They would be God's people, and God would be their God. Now, it's usually not popular to speak of God as being a judge, a judge who punishes sin. Um, it's, more, it's more comfortable, I think, to, um, uh, to imagine God as being this heavenly, um, you know, grandfatherly type of figure. You know, the difference between being a parent and being a grandparent. You know, the kids love going to the grandparents because it's all cuddles and all of that sort of thing. Um, it's easy to imagine God as being a, a, a heavenly grandfatherly figure uh, whose love means that he embraces us um, but doesn't have to deal uh, with our sin as if sin doesn't really matter. But God is not like that. God is a holy, a righteous and a just God. Um, who will not allow his creation to just continue to rebel against him um, forever. 
And so if Abraham's descendants were to be God's special people who Abraham was to teach to live for the, for the Lord, then what would Abraham need to understand? How about that God is a holy and righteous God? He does not just close his eyes to human sin. Now, uh, you may recall from uh, Genesis chapter 13 that uh, Abraham's nephew, Lot, when uh, Abraham and Lot parted ways, that Lot, with his, with his household, had pitched their tents uh, in the uh, green, fertile pasture land uh, just nearby to Sodom. Sodom, which uh, even back then had a bad reputation because of the evil wickedness of the men of the city. But now, uh, Lot and his wife and his daughters and their husbands were not living outside in tents in the pasture land. By now, they're actually living inside Sodom. And so when Abraham learns that God is about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, who is he concerned for? He's concerned for his relatives, for Lot and Lot's family. And so he has a question for the Lord. Check it out in verse 22. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you sweep it all away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? That seems a good question, don't you think? Um, or is Abraham bargaining with God? If there are 50 people in Sodom who love and who, and who trust you, would you withhold your judgment for their sake? And God's answer to that question is, yes, I will, I will. And so in verse 27, Abraham says, well, all right, I know that I'm a bit of a nobody, but what about if there were... 45 righteous people in the city. Would you destroy the city just because they had five people less than the 50? Would you destroy the whole city for the sake of only five people? Apparently there's a thing called a Dutch auction. Anyone know what a Dutch auction is? Well, it's, it's when you start the bidding at a high price and then you, you keep on, the seller keeps on dropping the price until someone buys. We do it the opposite way, don't we? You, you start high, you drop down until someone says, yep, I'll take it at that price. Well, how low could Abraham drop the number? Uh, he goes from 50 to 45 to 30 to 20. Uh, well, in verse 33, the bidding stops at 10. If there, is just, if there are just 10 righteous people in the city then the Lord says, I will not destroy it. But Sodom was a godless city. And uh, what happens next uh, results in what Abraham had to see and understand with his own eyes. And it starts with Middle Eastern hospitality again. Uh, chapter 19, uh, verse 1, the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. Apparently Lot has become one of the city elders of sorts. 
And when he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. Now, whether it's um, Middle Eastern hospitality or or whether it's because a lot actually knew what went on in the city square after dark, we don't know. He, he insisted that they stay in his house and they agreed. But city square or the house of Lot made no difference <clears throat> to the men of Sodom who had seen these, these two visitors arrive and who tried to break down the door of Lot's house because of what, in verse 5, uh, we see that they lusted to do to these visitors, these strangers, these men. That is how um, debauch uh, the city had become. And in verse 8, uh, you've got to wonder about Lot as well, who offered up his own daughters um, uh, in place of the two visitors. But it's all over for Sodom. And so in verse 12, the, the messengers tell Lot to round up his household and to leave the place immediately. And, uh, you know, in our day, we, uh, we people scoff at the idea of uh, facing God's judgment instead of accepting his salvation. Um, people scoff at the idea, the notion that, um, as the Bible says, that man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment seat of God. Uh, they scoff at that idea. They take their chances, like Lot's sons-in-law, who thought it was just a, just a big joke, and they stayed put whilst Lot, and, with his wife and daughters, were rescued from the city. And never again, never again, would Abraham <clears throat> in his tent up in the hills, never again would he be able to look down from his vantage site and see the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Instead, next morning, what did he see? Uh, verse 28 of chapter 18. Early the next morning, Abram got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. One day, two bustling cities. Next day, smoke and ash. Gone. Gone forever. Uh, geologists have uh, various explanations um, as to how this catastrophe uh, occurred, particularly given the geography of the, being in the Dead Sea and salt and, salt and sulphur and so on. But it's described in verse 24 as burning sulphur which the Lord rained down from the heavens. 
burning sulphur, which the Lord rained down from the heavens. But the how is not as important as the why. You see, if Abraham was to be the the forefather of God's special people, this was something which he needed to see with his own eyes and and to have burnt into his soul that God is a holy God who takes sin seriously. You know, when Abraham bargained God down, if there are 50 righteous people, would you spare the city? Well, how about 45 and maybe 40? You know, would you go for 30? What about 20? What about 10? Actually, in the whole world, there is only ever one person who has been truly righteous. Could have gone down to one. And he is the one who God actually did not spare. Did not spare. But poured out his judgment on him. So that we might be the ones who are spared. Jesus. We don't need to see the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah. But their destruction is a warning of the judgment which we face if we ignore Jesus. And it also helps us to grasp the enormity of what Jesus did for us on the cross. As the sky was blackened, as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he bore the punishment for our sin upon himself so that we could be spared, so that we could become righteous in God's sight and forgiven if we entrust our lives to him. There was one member of Lot's family who didn't make it all the way to safety, his wife, who was like some people today who who want to be saved but they also crave the things of this world. Uh, Lot's wife may have left the city, but where was her heart? Well, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife, whose heart was back in Sodom with her house, her possessions, her life, which she found hard to let go of. As she fled from Sodom, in verse 26, she stopped, looked back, and died. So do not cling to the things of this world. One day, Abraham stood with the Lord, looking out on the bustling cities below. Next day, all he could see was smoke rising from the ruins. It's a warning to us to take the holiness of God seriously, to trust in Christ's death for our sins and to never look back. Let's pray. Father, you are a holy and righteous God. Father, we are sinful human beings. Father, we acknowledge our own uh, falling short of your glory. 
We acknowledge that there is no one righteous, not even one. Well, there is one who is righteous, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for his death, uh, that uh, he was not spared so that we could be spared. We pray that we would trust, uh, that we would take your holiness and your justice seriously and the justice as it's poured out on the Lord Jesus. We would take that seriously and we would accept the mercy that you give to us. Father, help us to be those whose lives are shaped by your holiness and your mercy as we look forward to the day when uh, the Lord Jesus will come again. We pray in his name. Amen.